Well, good morning, everybody. It's been a good morning so far, hasn't it? Been fantastic, in fact. Kent, thank you for the stuff you've shared today. Thank you, worship team, for the songs, and they have been wonderful to participate in and consider what God has been saying to us. My message this morning, um, you might think I've stolen the, the name. I've given it a bit of a name. It's called An Unexpected Journey. Now, I suppose some of you have probably heard of that before. Well, I'm not relating to Lord of the Rings, but I really do want to talk about um, some things that, that God has put on my heart for some time. As you probably read in the newsletter, I am referencing out of Ephesians. Whether we get to Ephesians or not is another thing, but let's hope we do, eh? <laughs> the Israelites had a legitimate complaint. They felt they had been abandoned by God, forsaken left alone, as if God had put something in motion and then went off and had a cup of tea and said, leave it to you guys, you can sort it out yourselves. In this particular instance, I camped under Mount Sinai for what seemed like forever. Moses, their leader, had uh, departed. They thought it might have been for a weekend retreat, but he had not returned, presumed dead. They are stuck with no direction, no leadership, no hope, and no way forward. And they certainly believed that God had left the party. No anchor to secure the soul, and no compass to point the way home. They had fallen into a gap, a little bit like that gap that we saw with Michelangelo. Did you like the placement of the fig leaf, by the way? <laughs> I, I, that's not the original painting. All right, no fig leaf in the original one, in the Sistine Chapel. But uh, they, they were like that gap, you know, God pointing and Adam pointing. There's a little gap in between that, that Kent so adequately portrayed. They'd fallen in the, in the gap. <clears throat> These are the very same people that God spoke of when he said, they will be my people and I will be their God. So they did the most logical thing when faced with a dilemma where God has left the room. They made something of value to replace God. You can read the story in Exodus 32. It's a fascinating story. If you get a chance, go through and read it, Exodus, and particularly this story. But it's not the first time, nor the last time, that they had felt abandoned by God. For 400 years, they complained that God had not answered their prayers while they were captives in Egypt. When they got released, and Exodus, of course, is a story of that release, they complained uh, <clears throat> that they had been brought out into the desert to die. You may remember that story where they have escaped. Uh, Pharaoh says, get out of here, go, before I change my mind. So they go, and he changes his mind, and they're up against this obstacle. They can't get past the, the Red Sea. They've got the Red Sea in front of them and they've got the armies of Pharaoh with their chariots and their horses, you know, chasing after them. And they're, they're caught in a, a place where they say, why, have, Moses, have you brought us here? We could have died back in Egypt, but you brought us out here in the desert to die instead. You know, they're up against the wall. They complained, of course, once that, as that story developed, and I love the Bible and how it portrays these stories for us to get caught up in them. But they get past that obstacle, of course, 
and uh, they're in the, out in the desert, and every morning manna from heaven falls down. They don't have to, all they have to do is go out and pick it off the ground. But of course, they get bored of that diet. They want something more. They want some meat. And so they complain to God about the fact that all they get is this manna. And God, you know, it's just not, it's just not on, is it? It's just not cricket, as someone in my office would say on a regular basis. <clears throat> so they complained. Even Habakkuk. Now, my father-in-law on Friday night was round at our place, and he opened the Bible, and he started reading from Habakkuk. And he read these, these verses. But Habakkuk, one of their own prophets, many years later, made this startling complaint. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? And it goes on to say how... God, you just turn away from injustice. You don't do anything that you say is important. You just don't seem to be there. You don't seem to be answering my prayer. You don't seem to be doing the things that I expect you to do. God, where are you? Where are you in this circumstance of life? It's with these stories in mind that the Apostle Paul writes from his prison cell in Ephesus. It's a journey completely different to the one he thought he would be embarking on. Completely different to what he thought when he started out about what God was going to do. But he writes these, this key verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And it's this thought that I want us to think about this morning, let us pray. Lord, will you illuminate our hearts and minds this morning that we may understand more fully this great treasure you have entrusted to us and that we may reflect more accurately the life that is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A discussion I had with someone recently was quite illuminating. We were comparing notes on how different the journey we started out on many years ago looked like compared to what it is now. Back then, it all seemed so simple. I was about 15 or 16, I suppose. And I had a problem. And God had a solution. I made a decision. Voila. Problem solved. That's what I thought anyway. I thought God's plan was to give me a wonderful and fulfilling life. That everything that I did in life would turn to gold. That I would have uh, everything I ever wanted, everything I ever asked for. How many of you are glad that God hasn't given you everything you asked for? Eh? <laughs> I'm very glad. Uh, but what I hadn't comprehended was that in order for God to fulfill his part of the bargain, someone had to die. Yes, I know. It was Jesus. It always is, isn't it? Jesus died and that was it. Well, that's where the problem began. And I think that might be where the problem has begun for many of us. We think that when Jesus died, he was resurrected, that everything was going to change. Everything was going to be different. And we we're going to be caught up in this 
this whole new life. Well, that was just part of the story, but it's not the full picture. We all know that John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die but will have eternal life. But how many of us remember this one? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It takes that concept of God's great love and his provision and everything he wants to do, and it, and it brings it into the fact that God is really after one thing. He wants to kill Peter Muller. Because only when he kills me am I going to be of any use to him. It's a, it's a conundrum, isn't it? It's a great puzzle. You know? Here I am, Lord. I'm totally available to you. And all you want to do is kill me. All you want to do is take everything I've got and make it nothing because it's not useful to you as it is. God wants to kill us. I am crucified with Christ. I've been killed with Christ. I've been hung up on a cross with him. I identify with what he has walked through. But not just identify, I, I am actually being killed as part of this process. You know, I was 15, I turned 61 in a couple of weeks' time. So that's something like 46 years, isn't it? And I'm only just beginning to appreciate what it means for God to say, I want to kill this, this being. I want my life to be demonstrated. I want my purposes and plans to be demonstrated. It's taken me all this time to understand that that's what God has been about all this, all this process. <clears throat> you know, a thought occurred to me recently that we often ask God to bless us as if there's something more God can do, if he wanted to anyway. Perhaps God has been holding out on us. There is more, but he isn't prepared to entrust us with it yet. Sometimes, and I have been accused of this too, we even get so bold as to declare forcefully, more, Lord, give us more, we want more. Now, I know that we often pray this way because we feel that in doing so, we are positioning ourselves for more of God's power in our lives. But God doesn't want us to have more of him. He doesn't even want more of us. He wants all of us. Everything. Us completely, entirely, entirely. Not one thing held back. And that is why he's out to kill us. That's why he's out to put us to death. So that he can have all of us. I am crucified with Christ but I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Read that passage in Galatians 2.20. It's just amazing how Paul has captured what God is about and what he's doing. Another reason why I think we pray, Lord blesses or more Lord, is that our experience of God often falls well short of our perception of how he should act given any particular circumstance. 
perhaps our lives should make more sense, should be successful, should have all our aspirations and hopes and wants and that fulfilled. But we don't get that. I've also been known to pray a very personal, pers- a very, a very meaningful prayer, <laughs> uh, citing First Corinthians two verse nine: "Eye has not seen, neither ear heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him." Now, you know that passage is actually a direct quote out of Isaiah sixty-four. Isaiah, by the Spirit, is speaking about what's going to happen in the future. He's saying to his generation, to his people, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into your heart what God has got prepared, what he's going to do, what he is all about, what he is setting up, what he is wanting to achieve. Your eye, you'll never perceive what God is about. It is so far beyond what you could ever comprehend. He was saying it to his generation because Paul goes on to say in verse uh, 10, but God has revealed his plans, what he is up to through his spirit. Brothers and sisters, we are partakers. We are the fulfillment of that passage that Isaiah was talking about. So when we go around saying, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, we're saying, God, you haven't done anything yet. We're waiting for you to do it. We're waiting for you to fulfill your, your promises and your plans. You haven't done it yet. And God is saying, well, I'm sorry, but I have done it. Isaiah was pointing to the time in the future. Paul is saying, this time is now. Ephesians 1, verse 3. We have been blessed. Note that it says we have been blessed, not we are going to be blessed, not that we may be blessed in the future, but we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Let's have a little look at that for a minute. The Greek word for blessing is eulogy, or in other words, to speak well of. You often hear them at funerals, don't you? Someone speaks well of the person who's died. In fact, sometimes they, they speak so well of the person that you think, I don't even recognize the person that has died. What they've described is completely different. One person quipped that they said, they say such nice things about people at their funerals that it makes me sad to realize that I'm going to miss mine by just a few days. Since God is the one acting in this verse, we can say that God has spoken good things about us or pronounced good things for our benefit. Now, if we were to list those things that God has pronounced or said about us, we'd be here for the rest of the day. Thanks, Kent. You said we could be here till midnight tonight. So I'm going to start with number one. No, uh, we'd have a list. We'd have a huge list. We would it full walls about what God has said and what he has promised and the benefits that he has got. Far too many for us to mention today. Let's just look at a few. Out of Ephesians, for a starter, he has chosen us. He has adopted us. We are accepted. We have been redeemed. We sang about this morning, My Redeemer Lives. What a fantastic song. We have been forgiven. He has revealed his will to us. He has given us an inheritance. He has paid a deposit on what he has promised, a down payment. 
Other passages in Scripture continue the theme. We are ambassadors together. Uh, sorry, we are ambassadors. We are laborers together. I might just get some water if that's okay. Just keep thinking about what God has been saying about his benefits. Because it says in Psalms 1, Forget not his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not his benefits. Forget not what he's done for you. What he's promised to do for you. What he's promised to bring you into. We are laborers together with the Father. We're joint heirs with the Son. We are the bride of Christ. We have peace that passes all understanding. We have joy. We have assurance that nothing separates us from God's love. The list goes on and on. Not to bore us, but to remind us that we can trust God. We sang their song this morning, the wind is strong, the water's deep, but I'm not alone in these open seas. Your love never fails. But I'd like to take two this morning, just in the next few minutes that I've got, of those, all those benefits, those many benefits, I'd like to take two. One is found in Ephesians verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. I did say I'd get to Ephesians at some stage. And that's about being adopted, adoption. He has adopted us. Paul has borrowed this concept of adoption from the culture of his day, the Roman culture. You were either born into a Roman household or you were a slave. But if a leading politician, senator, or person of stature was unable to have children of his own, he could adopt somebody, most often a slave, because it wasn't a Roman citizen that he would adopt. He would adopt somebody who would become his heir. And he would confer on this person all the rights of sonship, all the rights of being a child of that citizen. Entirely, every right that was possible. Now, I know a little bit about adoption, as some of you have heard. In fact, the last time I spoke was on Father's Day, not this year, but wasn't this year, not last year, the year before, I think was probably the last time I spoke. Uh, <clears throat> and I spoke about some of the experiences I had as, being, as growing up in a, an adopted family. Now, this morning, I have brought my certificate copy of entry of birth, my birth certificate. I've brought my birth certificate in today to show you that I really am who I say I am today. Isn't that cool? And on this birth certificate, it has a number of details that uh, have been recorded. It has my mother's name and surname. It has a maiden surname, age when I was born, her birthplace, um, gosh, she's quite young, wasn't she? Uh, it says where I was born. It says sex, and I said yes, but no, it's male. And, and it says the date I was born, 3rd of June 1953. That wasn't that long ago, really. But the one thing it has got on here, which is fascinating, it's got my name. So it is me, Jeffrey Maxwell Staten. 
says it there, clear as a bell. This is my birth certificate. This is my real birth certificate, okay? Genuinely, this is my birth certificate. I have another birth certificate. All right, that's my other one. I'm lucky. I've got two birth certificates. This birth certificate has on it my date of birth. It has where I was, where I was born, Nelson. It has my mother's name. It has my father's name. The date that this was all certified and authorised. It even has the fee for the certificate. It's got two shillings and sixpence has been crossed out and five shillings has been written in its place. So, okay, it's been doubled. They've been ripped off. It also has this little caution. Any person who falsifies any of the particulars on the certificate or uses it as true, knowing it's to be false, is liable to be prosecution under the Crimes Act 1908. So it has a disclaimer in there. And it certifies that this is a true copy of the entry of birth in the register book kept in my office. And the deputy register has signed it. But it's got a different name on it. Everything else is the same. No, it's not. My mother's name is different and my father's name is different. But it has a different name, Peter Fernanda Muller, on here. Now, when this one took place a couple of weeks after I was born, this one, this is an incredibly important document. It's one I've treasured for many years and kept aside. has become worthless. It's rub. Oh shoot! Supposed to do that. <laughs> it's all right. It's a photocopy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one's become null and void. It's been cancelled. It no longer is relevant. Everything that one pointed to, everything that one was about, no longer is important in my life. Even my name, what a wonderful name, Jeffrey Maxwell Staten. Who couldn't ask for a better name than that? Um, my older brother, uh, they were, boys were always named J, you know, JMS. He was um, James Madison Staten. I'm Jeffrey Maxwell Staten. Wonderful, isn't it? But all of that has no consequence to me anymore because I'm now part of a new family. My new family is on this document. Harm Muller, baker of Collingwood Street in Nelson. Catherine Mackay Muller, wife of Harm Muller, adopting parents. It's all written here in black and white. I am no longer part of that old family. I am now part of a new family. <clears throat> it was a special transaction that took place. My mother gave me up for an adoption, and Catherine, uh, Princess Kate, and Harm took me home. And what a wonderful day that must have been. A day of great celebration. It's very appropriate that it is Mother's Day today because after all, I've had several of them. Currently, though, I'm looking for a wealthy widow who would consider adopting me for the last stages of my life. <laughs> uh, but what took place was more than just a change in legal guardianship. Jeffrey Maxwell Staten has been put to death. He no longer exists. There's a change of ownership. I'm under new management. There's a change of name. I'm now Peter Fernanda Muller. I took on a new family name. There's a change of affection. I am chosen by these wonderful parents. I was wanted. Not that my, my mother didn't want me, by the way. She didn't choose to have me. It was a, an accident. Uh, 
I won't go into any details. You probably know how that works. But um, uh, she didn't want me. Uh, sorry, she hadn't chosen me, but she did want me. But circumstances of the day forced her to give me up. Now, who would give me up? I can't believe it. Um, change of direction. The hopes and dreams that my mother had for me changed. My d- granddaughter, back from Guernsey, came to stay with Nana and Papa recently for a, what do they call it? A sleepover. And on the Saturday morning, she jumped into bed. And she's lying there and she says, My mother is very hard on me. <laughs> and I said, darling, that's why you've got grandparents. <laughs> Hopes and dreams that my mother had for me are no longer important, no longer relevant. They have been superseded because I'm part of a new family. What's more, there's been a change of inheritance. Whatever my mother's family had to pass on to me is not mine anymore. I've got no claim on it. I've met my mother and her family, and... I've met my father and his family, and and we're actually quite wealthy. We own a whole part of the sounds, or the family owns a whole part of the sounds down in uh, Canoe Bay in Nelson. And uh, and technically, I'm quite wealthy, but that's not my family anymore, or that's not my inheritance. That doesn't belong to me. It's not mine to put a claim. I can't put a stake in the ground and say that's mine. Because I'm part of a different family. I'm part of a new family that God has placed me in. There are lots of benefits of being part of a new family. But the important thing is that God has adopted us into his family and bestowed all the benefits that he has for each one of us. As we're here today. Not only have we been adopted into a family, but we have received an inheritance. And it's on this I want to close this morning. Ephesians 1 verse 14 tells us that we have been given an inheritance and the Holy Spirit has been the deposit or the guarantee of this inheritance. Paul declares that God has revealed his plans and his purposes through his spirit. The mystery that the Old Testament alludes to finds its fulfillment in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In this story, Paul tells us that all things have been put under the feet of Jesus. It is the hope we have as Christians. It's not that one day we will end up in a very beautiful yet boring place called heaven, playing our musical instruments and singing Kumbaya, my Lord. Tom Tom Wright puts it this way. God intends to flood the whole cosmos, heaven and earth together, with his presence and grace. And when that happens, the new world that results, in which Jesus himself will be the central figure, is to be the inheritance for which Jesus' people are longing. Can I just say that again? Because it is a bit of a mouthful. 
God intends to flood the whole cosmos, earth and heaven together, with his presence and grace. And when that happens, see at the moment we can see a little bit of it, we get a taste of it, we get a sort of a, a, a the flavor of it, we see it here and there, but when that happens in its fullness, the new world that results in which Jesus himself will be the central figure, that will be the inheritance for which Jesus' people are longing. That is the inheritance that is far outweighs any earthly inheritance we can ever have. That's the inheritance that's worth being put to death for. That's the inheritance that's worth the struggle and the disappointments of life. That's the, the inheritance that's worth the gap sometimes between our understanding of what God wants to do and our experience as we walk through life. Knowing that God has an inheritance and that he's paid a deposit, a down payment, is far more worthwhile holding on to than anything else. Would you not agree this morning? Today, you may feel a little bit like the Israelites did. You may feel that God has abandoned you. You may feel a little that you've been forsaken by God. That God started this life in process, got it, the ball rolling, and then mysteriously disappeared and left you to it. Found something better to do. You might think that the problems and difficulties that you've walked through in life have just been there to make it harder for you to navigate life. You feel that you've been caught between an obstacle and an enemy. There's no way forward, there's no way back. The passage I quoted earlier on that Habakkuk said, uh, when he said, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? He didn't finish it there. We still have to read the next couple of chapters to find out how God or his response or what, he turned, what turned out. And it went like this. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the field produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Father, let us pray. Lord, this morning, we've all navigated difficult things. We've all found challenges along our way. We've all found times when heaven seems to be silent. We've cried out to you, Lord, and you haven't answered. You seem like you've turned a deaf ear. There have been times, Father, than we've felt we've had to navigate life by itself, where we've had to hold on like one would hold on 
clinging to a, a, a lifeboat where if, we, if our fingernails gave way, we would fall into the tempest. We'd fall into this, this turbulent sea. We would be consumed by the difficulties around us. And yet this morning we've been reminded that you are the God who says to us, as you said to your people of old, that you are my people and I am your God. Father, we want to remind ourselves today that you have promised that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we want to remind ourselves today that you have said that your favor is poured out upon us, that you have adopted us out of, uh, you've adopted us from one kingdom into another kingdom, from one family into another family. You've transposed us into a new kingdom that will never end, that will never fail that one day we'll see it in all its fullness and all its totality. Today we see it dimly. Today we just see glimpses of it. But one day we'll participate in the full story of what you're doing. And Father, today we say, do whatever you need to do in our lives to bring us into that fullness. Do whatever you need to do, Lord, to kill us, to to put to death our own desires, our own wants, our own feelings of inadequacy our own plans, our own purposes, that we may be caught up in your story and we may be delivered from ourselves and truly live for the one who loves us and gave himself for us, who took the the pathway to the cross, who hung and died and yet was resurrected and sits beside or sits alongside the right hand of God and says, today I call you my children. Today I call you out. Today I say the plans and purposes I have for you are good plans and they will be revealed and you will be called up into the story and you will know what it means to be the children of God, to be the family of God, to be the ones who know their God and can make him known. We thank you for that today in Jesus' precious name. We ask that you continue to lead us on and all that you've got for us. In Jesus' most worthy name, amen. I wonder if the worship team would mind singing that new song you did again uh, this morning. Is that possible? Am I asking too much? You're not? You know the one I mean? Yeah, I think that's the one. The one that I read out. Is that okay? That would be very cool. Can we just close on that as we meditate? I've given you a few thoughts today. I've, I've covered it a little bit. But I'd like you just to think about, read some of those stories in Exodus. Read through how God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Take hold of it and see how God will use it to transform our understanding of his purposes and his plans. The Lord bless you, make his light shine upon you, and give you much joy. Amen.